Right, would you turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Amen. And we know God always blesses the reading of his own inspired word. It's a joy for me to be preaching at this commissioning service. From the moment I made contact with Josh, uh, I felt that both he and Rachel were just a good fit for uh, Balamina and for the work among our young people. And at this uh, welcome service, I want to turn their attention and your attention to the passage that I have just read in Second Timothy chapter 2. And focus particularly on that phrase, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. What a strange thing to say to any Christian. Remember Jesus Christ. What a strange thing to say to uh, Timothy, who was um, a pastor uh, at the church in Ephesus and one of the most trusted protégés of the Apostle Paul. This is the man, as we were thinking about a few weeks ago, uh, at the prayer meeting, who Paul commends in the book of Philippians and says, I have no one like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for the, his own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. He was a man who was focused upon the interests of Jesus Christ, and yet Paul writes to him and he says, Remember Jesus Christ. How superfluous! How ridiculous! ludicrous. Remember Jesus Christ. Paul, for goodness sake, he's a full-time Christian worker, a preacher, an evangelist, a missionary. Remember Jesus Christ. But Paul is asking for more than a recollection of memory and more even than a focus for ministry. He is calling Timothy to remember Jesus Christ in such a way that he is the great inspiration and motivation in ministry. Remember Jesus Christ. It's a rally call. It's a battle cry. It's a call to courage, a call to arms, a call that is intended to inspire and motivate Timothy in the work that God had called him to. Remember the Alamo. Remember 1690. Remember Skibbereen. Remember Jesus Christ. He himself is the motivation and inspiration for the work that God calls us to do. And right at the beginning of Josh's ministry and work here, I want to give him this charge. Remember Jesus Christ. Now, the background uh, to these verses is that a great persecution had broken out against the people of God. Many of the believers had their goods confiscated, had been incarcerated, and many had been executed. The Apostle Paul himself has been arrested, charged with treason, and uh, is in prison. By the time Second Timothy has been written, 
He has stood trial, he has been found guilty, and he has been sentenced to death. So as he pens these word, words, he's sitting in his cell waiting for his execution. He concludes this letter, the last letter that he ever wrote, with these words, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Added to that, many of the uh, many professing Christians had turned back or tried at least to put some distance between them and the Apostle Paul, who was this uh, condemned criminal, and even tried to distance themselves from the church. And so Paul writes to his young protege and fellow worker, uh, who we know was um, of a somewhat timid uh, disposition, who John Stott says was more disposed to lean than to lead, and he seeks to motivate him uh, in view of Paul's departure to carry on the work of the gospel, and he says, remember Jesus Christ. Now is not the time for hiding or hesitation to pull back or to soft pedal. It's the time of, uh, for perseverance and advance. As Bill Borden, who gave up his family fortune to serve in China and died on his way to China, recorded in his journal, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Uh, and that is the great motivation for ministry, that Jesus Christ is our inspiration in the work that God calls him to. Now, Paul encourages uh, Timothy to remember Jesus Christ in three ways, and it's these things that provide the motivation for Christian service. Remember his person, remember his purposes, and remember the principle. So, first of all, remember his person. Uh, remember, he says, who it is you serve. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, uh, the offspring of David. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember who he is, that he is Christ the Messiah. As James reminded us this morning, the one that is, was promised on the pages of the Old Testament, God's great anointed king. But remember him in two particular ways. Remember that he has risen from the dead, and remember that he is the offspring of David. Now, why did Paul focus on these two aspects of the uh, person of Christ, the resurrection and his Davidic descent? And why place them in that particular order, his resurrection and then his Davidic descent? The most logical order, the most natural order would be his Davidic descent, the fact that he was the offspring of David, the one who was the fulfillment of the promises made in the Old Testament about David's greater son, and the fact then that he came into our world and he was raised from the dead. That's the, the, the most natural order, the chronological, the logical order. And so the authorized version changes the order of the original to accommodate it, to put it into that chronological form. Remember Jesus Christ, the seed of David, who was raised from the dead according to my gospel. That makes sense, but that's not the order of the original. The original is, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, the resurrection, and then the Davidic descent. 
That's the order that Paul placed them in. In the first statement, Paul uses, I don't want to be too technical, but he uses the perfect tense, which the perfect tense carries the idea of a past action with a continued lasting significance. Paul is not simply saying, remember the historicity, the historical event of the resurrection. He is saying that. But he's saying more than that. He is saying that Jesus was raised from the dead and that he continues to live. The news of the angels, he is not here, he is risen, has a perpetual and continual and an ongoing significance. The writer to the Hebrews says he lives in the power of an endless life. Remember, Timothy, Jesus Christ. Remember he's alive. Remember that you serve not a dead Savior who's in a tomb somewhere outside Jerusalem, but that he's alive and he lives in this continual state of resurrection. As I write these words, he says, he's alive now. He is risen from the dead and he's alive. Remember, Timothy, you serve a risen Savior. He lives, and he lives forever. The other friend, uh, the other phrase is the offspring of David or descended from David. Not only remember his resurrection, but remember that he's descended from David. He's the offspring of David. Now, why in that order? Why does Paul put these two things in this particular order? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David. Well, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He's the inheritor of the promises made to David that his son, greater son, would rule from his throne forever and ever, that he would be David's greater son, that he would be the great king, and that he would rule over all. Remember the words of the angel to Mary, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob and his kingdom will know no end. That he, he was raised, that he ascended into glory, that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and now he reigns as David's greater son you see the reason for the order? Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David. He is risen and he reigns. He reigns over all. Jesus is risen and Jesus reigns. He's alive and he rules over all things. Remember as a 12-year-old boy, walking home from school along the railway path, which is which a shortcut to our house up the side of the railway station and, and initially the, the tracks. And I find a, a half tin of spray paint uh, on the railway path and I, I graffitied and I, I, I wrote these words, Stephen Curry rules okay. Now, <laughs> if you're going to graffiti, can I give you a little bit of advice? Don't put your name in it. And, and, and don't place it, uh, uh, put it in a place where your sister will be passing and on her way home from school. Because I tell you, I didn't reign that night. 
In fact, I wasn't able to sit down, never mind sit on a throne. Uh, but Stephen Curry rules, okay, hypothetic. What an extravagant, hollow claim for a 12-year-old boy to make. But here, here Paul tells us that Jesus Christ is living, that he rules, and it's okay. What a comfort. What an encouragement. What an incentive uh, for ministry. What an incentive to Josh and Rachel as they come amongst us. That Jesus is risen and Jesus reigns. What did Jesus himself say when he commissioned that little embryo church uh, to take the gospel uh, into the world? That little trembling church. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All authority. Not some authority. Not partial authority. But all authority. Not just authority in heaven. But authority on earth as well. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go confidently. Go with the confidence of heaven. Because the Christ that we, we serve is risen and he reigns. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember his person. Remember who it is that you serve. He is risen and he reigns. Secondly, remember his purposes. Paul, in the verses that follow, unpacks the implications of what he has said about Jesus risen and reigning. That his purposes are being executed and fulfilled in the world. Look at what he says there in verses 8 to 10. As preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, uh, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember his person. Remember that he has risen and that he reigns, and that as he reigns, his purposes are being executed in the world, that his purposes are unstoppable, can never be thwarted, and will be accomplished. That David's greater son is working out his purposes in our world, that he, he has risen and he reigns. That God's word cannot be hindered or restricted. Verse 9, I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. I may be in prison, says Paul. I may be restricted in my activity and my ministry, but the word of God cannot be bound, cannot be resisted. You cannot thwart the purposes of God and the effectiveness of the Word in the world. Christ is risen and Christ is reigning. Andrew Medville was one of the early leaders of the Reformation in Scotland. He was the founder of Glasgow University and he was uh, rector of St. Mary's College in Edinburgh. And on one occasion he was brought before the king's representative uh, in Scotland, and uh, uh, that representative said to him, there will never be quietness in the country until half a dozen of you be burned or banished from the land. To which Andrew Medville replied, hold your wish. 
It does not lie in your power to hang or exile the truth. You can imprison a preacher, but you can never imprison the word that he preaches. Christ is risen and reigning, and his truth goes marching on. Look at what he says there in verse 10. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also might obtain the salvation uh, that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Even when it comes to salvation itself, Paul is absolutely convinced that the work of God cannot be thwarted, that God has a, an elect people, and all the church, the ransomed church of God, will ultimately be saved to sin no more. Paul was absolutely convinced that the purposes of God would be fulfilled in heaven and that there wouldn't be an empty seat in heaven. Absolutely convinced that the elect, the elect, God's chosen people will obtain uh, the uh, eternal salvation that is in Christ Jesus. But more than that, more than that, he is saying, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That he is convinced that even his very imprisonment and even the, the present restrictions that he was under was actually serving the gospel and advancing the gospel. Martin Luther used to say of the devil that sometimes he overreaches himself. And in that overreach, he, he actually provides a platform for the work of God and the advance of the kingdom of God. Remember how he wrote uh, to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1 at a time of previous imprisonment. And he says, I want you to know that all that has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So not only is he convinced that the word of God cannot be thwarted, cannot be changed, cannot be restricted, that his truth will go marching on. Not only is he convinced that the elect will be saved and, and all of the people of God will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not only, uh, but he's also convinced that even in his suffering, even in his setbacks, that the work, God was at work and the work of God was going forward. He was convinced of his own theology that God does work all things together for the good of those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. What a motivation for mission. What a motivation for the work of the gospel. What a motivation for ministry that we are on the winning side. A few years ago, uh, Reverend John Woodside spoke at um, the missionary convention in, in Bangor. He was in uh, Drogheda for a number of years and saw a great uh, turnaround in terms of the church there. And uh, he, he, he gave this wonderful illustration. I wish it was mine, but I'm pinching it from him. And uh, he said that he was watching Ireland play England uh, in a, a rugby match. And so when Ireland scored, he, he cheered. And when England scored, he booed. But all the time, he was confident of Ireland's success and Ireland's triumph because... It was pre-recorded. 
He, he knew the outcome. And we know the outcome. And do you know what the outcome is? The Lamb wins. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. The gospel will triumph and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What an inspiration. What an encouragement. What a, a blessing. The French philosopher Voltaire once said, that 100 years after my death, the Bible will be in a museum. That's the only place you'll see a Bible, in a museum. 100 years after his death, his house became the home of the French Bible Society. His truth goes marching on. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember his person. He is risen and he reigns. Remember his purposes that the work of God cannot be thwarted. And Paul had absolute confidence in the sovereignty of God. And lastly then, remember the principle. After making this great statement about the person of Jesus Christ, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, and then showing how that reign is worked out in the world and in his own life, Paul then closes the section by highlighting a principle the principle in Christ's resurrection and reign. And he does so by quoting either from an early Christian hymn or one of those sanctified cliches uh, that encapsulated doctrine that circulated in the early church. You have it there in verses uh, 10 to 12. This saying is trustworthy. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Here Paul makes four statements, two of which are positive and two of which are negative. Now those statements correspond to what we have just read in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of heaven. He is risen and he reigns. Now look at verse 11. If we have died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Do you see the connection in the context? Don't miss it. He is risen and reigning. And if we die, we will live. And if we endure, we will reign. Do you see the principle? Do you see the paradigm established by Paul? He suffered died, but now lives. He endured and persevered, but now reigns. And he and we, here's the punchline, if we die, we will live, and if we endure, we will reign. That death gives way to life, to resurrection, and endurance gives way to reigning in glory. It's the universal Christian principle of no gains without pains and no crown without a cross. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember that his death gave way to life. And remember that his endurance gave way to his reign. That's the principle that's highlighted by the Apostle Paul. That we are called to sacrifice. 
that we are called to self-denial, to self-crucifixion. We are called to perseverance, to endurance, to persistence. But that self-denial and that sacrifice will give way to resurrection and to reigning, to life and to glory. Now, the word died in verse 11, commentators think, refers to Paul's impending martyrdom, that he's thinking of his own death. And to be sure, I think it includes that. But it's more than that. Paul uses the aorist tense, which is the past tense. This is something that has already happened. The death in verse 11 refers not to his martyrdom, but to his dying to self. His dying to self-interest, to self-promotion, to self-preservation, to selfishness, to self-centeredness, to self-importance, and to self-service that we are called to sacrifice, to self-denial and self-crucifixion. Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And he must follow that cross, carry that cross to the place of crucifixion and make sure the death of self takes place. The Christian is called upon Jesus to live a life of radical self-denial, to deny self. When the Methodist missionary James Calvert arrived in Fiji in the 19th century, the captain of the ship tried to persuade him to go on with them to Australia. And uh, he, he says, you're going to die. You're going to die. They're going to eat you for food. To which William Calvert said, we died before we came here. We died before we came here. In these verses, the Apostle Paul describes the Christian life as a life of dying and enduring, of confessing rather than denying the faith, and of faith rather than faithlessness. But he says this is the principle, that dying and enduring will give way to life and to glory, to resurrection and reign. Now, I don't have to tell Josh and Rachel, that the Christian life is hard. The Christian life is hard. Christian ministry is harder still. But it's worth it all. Because if we live this life of radical self-denial, that life of radical self-denial will give way to resurrection and reign. See what Paul's doing? He's, he's lifting the eyes of timorous Timothy, this pressurized servant of God, this reluctant evangelist, this disheartened missionary, and he's focusing his eyes on the world to come. Remember Jesus Christ, all his rejection and humiliation, his suffering and sacrifice, his death and crucifixion, gave way to resurrection and to reign. And likewise, our dying to self, our sacrificial service, our missionary uh, commitment will one day give way to resurrection and to reign. That's a crucially important lesson for not only people in the Lord's work to grasp, but for every Christian to grasp. Christian work, Christian service, missionary work, missionary service, uh, it's hard. It's hard. And sometimes 
in a moment of darkness, you might ask, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I want to tell you this evening, it's worth it. It's worth it. Because one day, all that self-denial and that endurance will give way to resurrection and reign. Remember the words of Jim Elliot, the missionary that was martyred in Ecuador in the 1950s? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. One of these days, all the bumps and bruises that we pick up living as Christians in a falling, fallen world and all the servants of Christ as they, as they pick up uh, through ministry, one day all of those things are going to peel into utter insignificance as we look upon the blessed face of the Lord Jesus and we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Earth has no hurt that heaven cannot heal. And when you're tempted to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth serving Jesus? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, reigning in glory, descended from David, and that one day we will rise in the resurrection and we will enter into eternal glory. Remember his person, raised from the dead, the offspring of David, Remember his purposes because he reigns from his throne. The purposes of God are being executed and fulfilled in the world. Even in our suffering, the work of Christ is being advanced. And remember the principle. He died and now lives. He endured and now reigns. And if we die, we will live. And if we endure, we will reign. I hope that's an encouragement to you both as you begin your ministry here. Amen.